0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Laura Horn Art Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's hard to believe we're almost at the end of the year. In fact, this is the last podcast for 2020. Richie and I are going to take a bit of a break and we'll be back on the 20th of January. So I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you all for your ongoing support and encouragement. We absolutely love making this podcast and we're very excited for what the future holds. But it's not over yet for this year. I have a wonderful conversation for you today. I am chatting with Sarah Simon. If you haven't heard of Sarah, Sarah is the designer, artist illustrator and author at The Mint Gardener. Based in Seattle, Washington, Sarah creates and teaches lush watercolours inspired by the diverse variety of herbs, flowers and trees grown in her urban garden. In this conversation, Sarah shares how it all began, including the pivotal moments that led her to start painting, set up her Etsy shop, The Mint Gardener, and focus on her art full-time. This brings up many interesting topics, including the challenge of calling yourself an artist, how to recharge when art goes from being a hobby to being a job, and the value of getting creatively organised. And of course, there are plenty of tips on how to get started with watercolour. So before we start the interview, I want to share a review that came in. I absolutely love getting these. This one came from Julie Lueck via Apple Podcasts USA, and it's titled My Morning Walks. I'm out the door shortly after five in the morning for my morning walk and love when there is a new episode available. I learn and am inspired on my later life creative journey. Also, Laura is absolutely one of the best interviewers I've ever heard, even better than famous people who do this for a living. When she has a guest, she asks thoughtful questions and listens without interrupting. It's refreshing. Thank you so much for that review, Julie, and I hope that you enjoy the interview today with Sarah Simon. So the interview starts with me asking Sarah how she discovered her love of painting. So there is one thing that I do like to do. I always want to find out a bit about how an artist got started. So that's where I generally begin. So can you tell us, how did you discover your love of painting? Ooh, I love that. Yes,
1: it's a great question. Um, Well, I have been drawing and creating and making my whole life. I know I've always loved to use my hands and I always feel the most Sarah when I get to use my hands to make something pretty but actual painting to where it became a practice and something that I would mindfully seek out regularly. Um, it actually happened, uh, my now husband, Colin and I, we were just engaged at the time and we were on a trip and I missed a half a stare in flip-flops and fell and broke my foot and my sprained my ankle all in like one little stumble it's bizarre because I've never broken another bone and I'm touching wood now so that never happens again but um it put me in a boot in the winter uh in Seattle which is just so we were we were in Key West hence the flip-flops and then came back to freezing cold weather in a boot so it was snowy and slushy so I didn't go many places on the weekend. And my best friend, she's like, Sarah, she's like, you, you haven't been painting regularly. I was like, I know I don't have any of the supplies. I, you know, I don't even know where to begin. And she's like, pack up. We're going to the art store. So she took me and I, you know, hobbled behind her in my boot and my crutches. And she picked up some things I needed. And uh, I actually, my first passion in painting was in acrylics. So I started down a canvas and I decided um, I wouldn't paint for myself. I would paint for my fiance because I knew what art he liked. So I painted him a piece for that Christmas that year. And I managed to keep it a secret until Christmas Eve. So it was a really special uh, re-inauguration, basically, back into art. And really dove, I dove right into painting from there just because after that, my Colin, he realized how happy I was when I was painting. And he always would push me Back towards art, whenever I felt like a little lost or drifting, he'd be like, "You need to get your easel out, get painting." And so it kind of transitioned from acrylic back to watercolor, um, or to watercolor for the first time, really, um, when I had little ones, because acrylic was so difficult to do in one sitting, um, unless you had several hours hours to devote. And when the babies were little, it you know you'd have five minutes or you'd have an hour. You ne- you never knew. So pouring out paint like acrylic felt like a waste where watercolor, you can reanimate it constantly with water whenever you're ready to pick it back up again. So um, watercolor was really the medium that allowed me to return many times a day and to be prolific in painting rather than having to pull out canvases and acrylics that dried so
0: fast. I absolutely love that. And Do you ever paint in acrylics now or have you completely immersed yourself in watercolour?
1: Yeah, no, I do. Um, I don't share everything that I paint on my Instagram because it has become such a a niche page um, or niche page. It's definitely the theme is botanicals and people generally tend to respond the most to watercolours. But I do dabble in acrylics and I have actually I've been studying a Van Gogh olive grove lately um, that he did and I love the the texture and the the width the weight that you can get from acrylic Um, so that's why I've been playing in gouache as well and acrylic gouache has been this really fun thing I've been dabbling in as well so anything with a paintbrush I like to play with.
0: Do you find it helpful to have something that you don't share on Instagram that's just for you?
1: Yes, I do. It's funny when a, a passion and a, ho- a hobby, right? Something, somewhere you go to pursue life and find yourself and, well, I don't know if you find yourself, you create yourself because you're you're right there. There's nothing to find, but you create yourself and you feel good when you do. It's crazy when it starts to become a job, it can start to feel like work and you can lose that recharge feeling that you get when you return to it. So, yeah, I think that there have been, I've been, I just got some, uh, cray pass and colored pastels I've been playing with as well. And there are things that I just play with and I don't share on Instagram and I might like share a story or two, like, Hey, I'm working on this. And if people are interested, you know, usually there's a faithful few that will reply and be like, Oh, show me more. And that's fun because, you know, then you get to geek out and talk all your paint things, um, But yeah, I do like to do things that are not necessarily shared on Instagram. Eventually they might end up there, but it feels really good to paint something just for you, you know?
0: And you mentioned there that when your art grows into something bigger and it becomes a bit more like work, that, uh, you know, it can be hard then to sort of relax and enjoy it in the same way that you did when you first started. And I'm curious about that transition because you mentioned that, uh, you know, your friend encouraged you back into painting and your husband, but when did it become something bigger, like a business? How did that happen and how long did it take? Oh,
1: let's see. So I started painting again and then, um, several friends had put their work on Etsy and I was always very um, shy about my art. I would even, um, if we were having people to dinner, I would put my easel away in the spare bedroom and not leave it out in the family room where I'd been working. And my husband's like, why are you doing that? And I just, I felt almost like pretentious or like, oh, posing as an artist. Because at that point I was I was working at um, a big tech firm in Seattle. And I don't know, I just, the, the title of claiming to be an artist felt Felt like a lot of pressure. And so I wanted to just kind of save it for me. And I was embarrassed. So I'd put it in the the spare room. But after friends started opening Etsy shops, and there was a, a few friends that were like, Sarah, your art, you could do this. So I kind of planned it all out in my mind. And in order to drive traffic to my Etsy shop, I saw people were using Instagram. And this was like in 2014, so 6 years ago going on 7. So that's why I started the Mint Gardener was to actually help me learn to sell my art because I had no idea how to reach people and even to tell people that I was an artist. That transition from being Sarah who does, you know, tech stuff to Sarah that does art felt really kind of odd to me. So the Instagram I created was the Mint Gardener and it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a laugh between my husband and I because we just moved into our new home and we were planning out the gardens and I had a little one and it was, um, chaos. Like there was, you know, after you move, it's just, (laughs) there's so much to do. Um, but I had mint. And so I kind of, you know, tucked it in to, um, a shaded area in my garden. And I was like, I know that without any tending, this mint will grow and I will feel successful because this plant did it and I don't have to water it. I don't even have to think about it. And that was the way I looked at art is it was something that I could go to and invest in whenever I had time. And it would always be a really beautiful place for me to return. Um, so that was where the mint. And then also the the funny part was that you don't garden mint. So a lot of people that are gardeners go, So tell me about your handle. <laughs> so, you don't garden mint, right? it it if you don't, cut it back it off and we'll take over your entire garden and your yard. So the ironic thing is that art really did do that for me too, but we just didn't know it would
0: do that. That is such an interesting story. And it's one of the questions that I was itching to ask you because I didn't know the story behind the mint gardener. And it's yeah. funny that you mentioned that because I've just moved into a new house and at the um, foot of the stairs, there's a massive mint plant (laughs) and I was
1: there with you right there yeah right (laughs) there
0: and I was like I'm looking at it's just abundant it's growing it's doing its thing it's right near a tap so it's getting the little drips of water and going crazy and so yeah I understand exactly what you're talking about with (laughs) with it you know doing its thing on its own and being a something that you don't need to worry about it's amazing to look at where you are today because I, I only recently discovered you and I have to say it was an amazing discovery. One of my podcast listeners suggested that I go and check you out and I fell in love straight away and I knew that I wanted to have you on the podcast. So I reached out to you. Yeah, like looking at everything that you do, you know, all the videos that you post and you share a lot of information about your process, the books that you've written, which we'll get into a bit more. I mean, it's been an incredible journey. But what was it like when you first started? So you were working in a tech firm and painting on the side, in between, looking after um, children. What happened next? Yeah.
1: So I, um, started the Instagram and then what I did was I started my Etsy and then I didn't tell anyone I knew about my Instagram or my Etsy. I, my husband knew and then like two or three of my friends, but I did not tell family members or anyone because I wanted I didn't want sympathy likes, right? I just wanted I wanted a place I could go and it kind of it's funny I'm processing this now, but like it it became kind of like that spare room that I could put my art into and it became kind of a world I could go to just for me. And it wasn't ever based on, okay, you know, you know, what does my mom think about this? What does my grandma think about this? It was like, all right, I'm just going to be Sarah, the mint gardener and, and play. And no one, you know, knows much about me, but there I can just be an artist And so that was how it started. And it really started with me sharing pictures of my garden. And then I would share like little pictures of pieces I was working on. And I was stamping and I was um, carving, like lino cutting. I was playing with gold foil. I was kind of doing all the things to just kind of see what felt good because I hadn't found a brand or a style. And then one day I was, um, I remember, It was a really little baby I had with me and she'd gone back to sleep and I had this opportunity to either go back to sleep or to try out a new watercolor kit that I had just gotten. And uh, I decided to stay awake and I painted um, my first watercolor in this eucalyptus branch and I was like, oh, this is so fun. This is beautiful. And I was like, I feel like I need someone to be holding this. And so I drew my character, which has become, she's become Florence, and we did this hashtag Florence and her fascinations. Um, So basically, it's always her lines holding something that she's fascinated by. And when I originally would draw them, the fascination was the one in watercolor and in full, full color where her line, her body lines were just a uh, black line ink and I never colored her in. And that way her face was always hidden in her hair. So she could kind of be every girl and anyone could picture themselves as her doing whatever adventure she was on next. So when I started posting those, that was when my Instagram started to really, people started to share them and it started to gain traction and people were kind of like, oh, I want to commission a Florence doing this. Or my sister just celebrated, she graduated with her master's. Can you make me a Florence with a champagne bottle? So that was where it kind of started. And it was constantly inspired. You know, I I had these lists of different fascinations that I could paint that Florence could then hold. Um, So I've I've painted, I mean, I think I counted losses like 150 of just different, different fascinations and Actually, a lot of those became The Plant Lady, which was my is my coloring book, The Plant Lady coloring book. So those original drawings that started my Instagram and which started to grow my art and when I pretty much transitioned from a gardening to just art was because of Florence and those drawings. So that was how it started.
0: That's amazing to hear how that one idea just captured you and then went on to create all these different pieces of art. Yeah, it's really fun. So at what point did you leave your job and make it a full-time thing?
1: Well, so it kind of actually, the decision was made for me because we were in a recession in Seattle and I got laid off. So that that helped make the decision because I don't think I ever would have made that jump.
0: Isn't that interesting that, I'm just sorry, just butting in because I had a thought, but it's interesting how you broke your foot So that was a decision that wasn't um, made by you and that got you back into painting and then you got laid off and that was another thing that happened. It's, I just find it fascinating how these things can lead you where you're meant to go.
1: Me too. And I like the way you said that it's cool because I think oftentimes we're afraid to make the big decisions, but when they're made for you, you kind of, all right, that saying, you know, when one door closes, you know, another opens the idea that, um, yeah, exactly. My husband just walked by and he goes, Jesus, <laughs> I don't know what you guys believe, but I definitely believe that it's, it's a very awesome path that I've gotten to walk on. And I don't know if I would have had the courage to follow it myself but I do believe it was given to me and it feels really amazing to walk in.
0: It certainly seems like that, like listening to your story. Now I've lost track because <laughs> I butted in and you were about to say something. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It's, I got laid off. So
1: really the decision was made for me and it was more of like, all right, I guess you do this and you know, we just live a little bit more frugally obviously and, um, you know, focus on the babies, and maybe you can garden a bit more now, and, you know, if you do some art commissions on the side, have fun, and so it really just kind of grew from there, which, I, and I remember, it was so funny, a year after, they, actually a few months after, and then a year again, because it was in, Um, I was in tech, but I was uh, in human resources, so I was hiring, and so they, they tried to get me to come back, and it was so funny, I was like, actually, I think I'm good. If I, I fill my days with computer work and hiring again, I won't have the mental space to continue to pursue this. And it feels okay to keep going. So it gave me the courage to pursue it for sure.
0: And at what point did you begin teaching other creatives?
1: Oh yeah. So actually, so that's a fun story too. Um, teaching I never would have gone out to say I'm a teacher, but in every role I've been in, even just looking back on my life as a kid, I'm the oldest of five. And so from day one, I've been teaching younger siblings. In college, I was in the teaching role. And then in every single one of my jobs, I've ended up being asked to step into some kind of teaching or leadership role that leads people on something on like a new concept, like for one of the tech firms, we were, um, rolling out a new program and they're like, Hey, you know, Sarah, would you learn this and teach the group? And I was like, sure, sure. Love it. So every role I had, it was already kind of prepping me to take things apart. And, um, I was a, an economics major actually at the university. Um, I wanted to pursue art, but because I was the oldest of five, my family was like, uh, "You kind of you might have some bills to pay at the end, so you might want to get a degree that you can for sure get a job in." Hence the tech firm. So I pursued that, but. An economics background really taught me the love of seeing a process and breaking things down A to Z and understanding the building blocks of learning and understanding the end game and what you want from the end of the class and then breaking it up into little pieces, little bite-sized pieces, so that at the end they have this whole beautiful thing that they've been putting the puzzle pieces together the whole class for. So... um that teaching began right around, it was pretty soon after I started watercolor and I, I did a little bit of teaching in acrylics and then switched to watercolor because I felt like it was a better format for the smaller classes and really a lot of watercolor painting. There's a lot of the same technique as in all painting like brush care and Um, how to hold your brush and strokes and the colors of paint were all familiar, but the technique was different. So it was fun to learn it on a curve and then get to teach it. And I definitely think my early teaching days were, they were trained by all the other roles that I'd had already. So it's kind of cool.
0: So when you first started teaching, was it in-person teaching that you were doing?
1: Yes. Yes. It was a really small shop in a, a neighborhood of Seattle and it was, a friend of a friend of a friend shop. She'd heard of me and then she went on my Instagram and was like, yes. It's amazing how Instagram is really an artist portfolio. You know, we don't have to lug around these giant <sighs> you know, leather, big bound things and knock door to door anymore. It's quite a gift in that way. Social media has become this art journal. Um, but she'd seen it. And two of our mutual friends um, had vouched for me and reached out to her and said, you should have her teach. So I started off with really small in-person classes. There'd be, you know, 10 to 12 people there, and we would just sit for two hours and learn to watercolour, and um, it grew from there.
0: And at the moment, you offer uh, online classes. When did you make that transition from in-person to online? Have you been doing that a while, or was that a more recent development?
1: Um. So... The transition to online, it actually started before our recent global pandemic. Um, and in that way, I was very well prepared again for this shift to making everything virtual. I had done, let's see, I think in 2018, we did a filming for the Watercolor Summit, which is an international watercolor summit. A gal named Ashley is the founder of it. She did an international calligraphy summit the year before. She basically selects some of the top teachers of the nation. And then a few, I think um, the summit even had Louise DeMasi, who she's actually based in Australia. Um, But she picks about seven to eight top instructors of their craft and sends a professional photographer or videographer to you does the whole filming. And that was my first real filming live experience. So he filmed it, re recorded it and then it was released that summer. And then I did the crafters box, which was wonderful. I went down to um, San Diego, California and filmed that. Um, So every time we filmed over the past few years, it just got more and more comfortable. So when the pandemic hit and I was supposed to go on a national book tour, we'd gotten three or four of the locations done, but obviously we weren't going to do any more. So there was a local shop that another one that I just adored and I do adore and they were, talking about closing their doors because their whole shop was built on the premise of gathering creatives in one space. And since no one could even go in, they weren't sure how they were going to pay the rent. So they had to come to me and said, how can we do this? Should we do like six people and just do it for a week and do it every night? And I was like, no, that." I don't even know if people would come or if it would be safe. And so I was like, what do you think about doing online? But instead you become almost – you – put the packets together for me, you know, for their portion, right? They put the packets together, they run, they host the workshop, they deal with all of the questions and the, oh no, I think my package has been lost in the mail and um, things like that, that, you know, when you're an artist, really all you just want to do is paint. So having a team with you that, you know, like your husband and his audio skills, Um, having a team with you that is good at what they do and you can partner to, bring beauty together. It's just been amazing. So studio life in Seattle. So just down the street for me has been hosting my workshops and we have been able to reach people. I think just this last class, we had some gals from Singapore. So they got up at like 3 AM to take the class. And then we had some people from Switzerland and they stayed up super late to take the class. <laughs> it's just been, um, so much fun. We've switched. We're we're offering a recorded version now as well. And we'll send you supplies. But for a while there, we were just doing the live version. And so seeing that people were willing to sacrifice sleep for me was an incredible compliment because I, I don't sacrifice sleep very well. So that was,
0: that was high praise. <laughs> that, that's cool to imagine people getting up in the middle of the night all over the world to tune in and enjoy your teaching.
1: It was a very, it was very a huge compliment, and I'm continually humbled and blown away by people's love of watercolor and that they like how I'm teaching it and the style. And it's always just such an honor to be able to spend those few hours with people and just having these live classes where, sure, it's a room full of computer screens, right? But seeing people's actual faces and smiling without masks. It feels so close to the real thing that it's really a recharge every time I get to do it. I look forward to it.
0: And are these still happening at the moment? Yep. December
1: 12th, I have one. Um, and then we're just booking ones for the new year.
0: So, And so can anyone book from anywhere? <laughs> anyone from anywhere and you um you can choose
1: say you live somewhere far away and you're concerned about the supplies not getting to you in time you can choose to do it without supplies and just get a list from me or you can choose for supplies and they'll ship them and it might take a month but it'll be fun and worth it. And if for some reason the supplies don't arrive in time, you can always bump your time for the next live class. Um, We've done that for people
0: before too. So yeah, everyone can sign up. That's really cool. So it's a live, but you mentioned before that you have a recording as well. Just how does that work? Because we realized, you
1: know, not everyone can sacrifice that time or even just you know a Saturday at one o'clock can be kind of awkward Um so someone would like to watch it or let's say someone wants to watch it and they want to be able to pause it and try something and they're maybe they just like working at a slower pace because inevitably that's what happens in a class you have some people that just race through it and they're like yeah this is awesome and then other people that would really like you to pause and they'd like to kind of contemplate and take their time there's there's just so many different learners out there and how we, how we soak material in just it's affected by so many things that, you know, so many factors. So the recorded option is now you can, again, you can choose to um you can order it with supplies or without. Um, and then you receive the link to watch the previous live recorded class. So obviously you don't get to interact and ask the questions you may have, but, The cool thing I've found is after teaching for so many years, usually the questions are pretty much in the same vein. So I'm able to answer a lot of them as I teach. So questions people thought they may have had, they don't have anymore. But then for the, you know, one-off questions that they do have, I'm able to say them to the live class. And then hopefully it answers whoever's watching it later, right? But it's cool. I've had... Even people watch the recorded and then DM me and be like, hey, I had a question. And I love when people reach out after we've had a class together. And so, you know, they're, they're familiar with how I've been teaching it. And they can go, you know, what was, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about this concept? Or people send me pictures of their work. Am I doing this right? What am I missing? Or I have this one last flower I need to paint in. What do you think? What color do you think it should be? So it's always just fun to, to interact with the people that take the classes and, you know anyone that wants to paint. It's always fun to DM, you know that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love the sound of that with the way it's so interactive. I've never participated in a a live type class, so it sounds wonderful. It's
1: fun. It's really fun. It ends up feeling like you're one-on-one with the person because what we do is we pinpoint my video. And so you see my hand painting the whole time and it's often in in many ways, it's better than the in-person classes because it's so zoomed in on my hand and the concept that I'm teaching that you get a better view than even if you were in a real class in person.
0: So as well as teaching uh, teaching classes, you also have several books and you're working on one at the moment. Can you tell us a bit about what you're working on? You're sorry, yes,
1: um, yes so modern watercolor botanicals and then. While they were editing that book, I think I was pestering them a lot, asking when I would get updates back. So they put me on another task and they told me, why don't you do the coloring book? So I did that while I was waiting for the first one to be edited. So those both were out this past November, 2019, and they're great. And then this last year, I've been working on the new book, which is called Watercolor Workbook. And it's really the one that I've been wanting to do all along, but finally was able to convince my publisher that this is what needed to happen, mainly because it's very expensive to make because we are printing my lines, so my drawings onto watercolor paper and then including instructions on how to paint that piece all within the book.
0: Oh, wow. I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's, some people do it. It's, it's very hard to do well. And I, um, I think I drove my publisher nuts with all of my paper sampling and Hey, could you send me that paper? just one more time. I need to run like 10 more tests. Um, (laughs) but it's been, it's been great. And they've been totally great sports about it. And it's gone to print. So I've learned so much about the publication world, but we can make edits the 14th of December. So I'm going to be getting um, copies soon so I can actually see it and make sure all the colors are correct. You know, any final dotting the I's or crossing the T's, but I'm excited about this one because I'm also teaching people how to mix colors. I want, I love the idea that people can start with a really minimal color palette, just really basic colors, and then they can create just this amazing color palette, colors that really represent who they are or where what they feel, um, they feel, you know, from your work, your beautiful work, you know, how much color can become representative of how you're feeling and your brand and how you feel in the season where you were in life. So I just love the idea of giving people the tool that they can then use to mix their own colors to express themselves.
0: Well, it sounds like a beautiful book. I can't wait to see it. I'm curious about your first book. Um, Can you tell us a bit about that one as well? Yeah. Yeah. So Modern Watercolor Botanicals,
1: I wanted to write a comprehensive guide to watercolor, something that I hadn't seen on the market before. I wanted it to cover the things that you can't easily Google. So I didn't spend a ton of time in color theory. I spent a few pages, but I also didn't want to put anyone to sleep. And if someone is very into color theory, there is a you know plethora of knowledge available at their fingertips on the computer. So the pages are really devoted to my step-by-step instructions and detailing techniques. And then each project builds slowly on your knowledge so that by the end, you are able to paint in watercolor, in gouache. You know how to incorporate the two well. You can draw your black line drawings because of course my Florence, the plant lady, makes an appearance. So it's really a combination of mediums with watercolor and how to incorporate them all. I designed each lesson as well at different uh, skill levels. So I I wanted someone, what I saw in classes, what was happening is someone would bring someone with them. So let's say the mother would bring her daughter and the daughter was very nervous about doing it, but the mother was returning to watercolor after 20 years. So the mom understood the basic techniques and all the building blocks, the daughter felt shaky there and didn't feel quite as confident. So I wanted this book to be something that they could lay out on a table and a group of people could come together at any skill level and go, oh, I'm kind of more beginner level. So I'm going to maybe not use quite as many colors like Sarah suggested here or I'm more advanced. And Sarah says for the advanced level, you don't have to trace the design. Um, You can just try to draw it yourself so that it looks more like your art. So you don't need maybe the training wheels quite so much. So I wanted to design a book that had a place for everyone to meet and work together and paint together. So that was where, that's what Modern Watercolor is. It's a series of really fun Pieces that, like I said, if you're a beginner, you can trace. I I included all the art in the back so you can tear it out and trace it onto paper and do each lesson so no drawing is required. Or you can go all the way to the end of advanced and I've seen people progress through the book and take a lesson, take the same lesson three different ways. So
0: it's really fun. That's a tricky thing to take on when creating a book, to be able to cover beginners right through to more advanced Did it take a lot of thinking to kind of figure out your approach with it?
1: Yes, it it took two and a half years. Yeah,
0: I I bet. (laughs) Because I'm listening (laughs) to what you're saying, thinking, yeah, I, I understand that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to be able to break those processes down and hit people where they are. So whether they're a beginner or they're in the middle or they've been, as you said, painting for years and years. So that's, yeah. A tremendous kind of thing to put together, which leads me to think about how do you manage your time with all the things that you have going on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always manage to put a question like that in there because um, I need to learn how to do this myself.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I think it varies from season to season. So when I was writing the book, my little ones would nap. So I would get a dedicated three hours of just. Good solid work time, um, completely uninterrupted. So, I would really make sure all the other things were lined up um, to make sure that I could sit for three hours and really write. So, during the day, I would, you know, do the lesson that I was going to try and teach. I had already gotten it built, and then I would make notes to myself throughout the day. And then, when I had the solid time, I could work. But now I would say that I think the most important thing in order to set myself up for success is setting up a place in my home a space that saves room for you to create. So it almost like saves your spot in a way. I think of it almost as like puppy guarding. That's what we would call it when we were little. is the idea that you're you're sitting in this corner and you've got your brushes at the ready. You've got a jar of water you know, washed out, ready for you to paint. I'm looking over at my little space right now. I've got paper there, I've got my paint. Everything is ready to grab so that when I do have the time or I can, I am there. And it also, every time I pass by it, it invites me in. So it's kind of like always calling to me. And that's, I, I remember when my my kids were little, I would have it, I had actually like a little rolling cart and I would just roll the cart with me wherever I went so that I could paint wherever they were. But now since they're older, they're a bit more mobile and I can, you know, they're pretty independent. So I can go into this space that I've created. And for many years, it was just the corner of our kitchen, um, of a little writing desk. And I, would have everything out and it was messy. Um, But I allowed myself to do that. Just, I call it creatively organized. Everything's there and it invites you in. And I think when you, do something like that. It saves you the effort and the almost the mental excuse of going, gosh, I would like to paint today. And I do feel inspired by that video I just watched, but I have to pull everything out. I don't have time for that. It's already selfish that I'm taking the time to paint. I, I can't make that time. And then also, or by the time you pull everything out, you're exhausted or you think about the cleanup or you see the load of laundry that you have to fold. And so just having that space there also realizing that creative time is worth your time, even if um, there's an intrinsic value, even if you're not sitting down to create a masterpiece that you're going to sell to pay your rent, sitting down to paint something that recharges your soul makes you a kinder human and you're nicer to the people around you. And you're happier when you're working in your job that does pay the rent. So I don't know, there's, That's that's kind of how I manage my time. That's how I think about it in my mind is I don't think of it necessarily as days of the week or hours in the day, which I think drives my my logical husband nuts because he goes, well, it's Saturday. Why are you painting? And I'm like, because I love to paint and because it's calling to me. So I'm going to go sit down and I'm going to (laughs) paint.
0: I was listening to that and it was making me think about getting a space ready in my new house because I'm not set up at home at all. And I'm wondering if other people are listening and thinking about how they can make it inviting too. Because I can almost imagine, you know, getting up right now and, you know, clearing a space, getting some water uh, jars ready, laying things out so that it's just there. So when you walk past it's almost like it winks at you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does.
1: It does It's <laughs> yeah. like, hey, I got you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is. It's really nice. And it doesn't have to be pretty. Like, I mean, for a long time there, I'm looking at my space right now. It's not very pretty either. It's pretty messy, actually. But, you know, there's a cute plant there. And I've got a, a nice ring light. So that it doesn't matter what time of day I, or night that I'm feeling called to paint. I can turn my ring light on and the light's there, right? I've got a camera holder so that I can film it everything's set it's like I said not necessarily pretty but it's there and knowing that it's there I can just jump right in and it it feels really good you can answer the muse much more easily um, less things are standing in your way.
0: So do you have art supplies out at the moment that you can see? Yes I do. What can you see? I want to ask you about your favorite supplies. And I figure that the best way to ask you might be for you to look over and tell me what you can see. Oh, I like that. I like that. (laughs) What's on Uh, your table at the moment? Right now, yes.
1: um, There's a sketching pencil. Um, There is a round four watercolor brush, which is, I use that all the time. It's actually kind of thinking I need to make clips, like a round four brush with a hair clip on it so I can just store it in my hair and I can just whip it out whenever I need it. Um, I've, got, uh, I've, so got a, I've got a vision of that in my head now. <laughs> right? I'm going to get my daughter on her hot glue gun to make me one, right? Um, I've got a big palette. So um, there's a gal uh, on Instagram. Her Instagram is sylvanclayworks. And uh, she makes incredibly beautiful artist palettes. So she's a ceramicist that only makes artist palettes. And she sent me a few. And it's the one that I work from all the time. Uh, and it's just really a rainbow of colors. But it's beautiful. It's large. It's, I would say it's like a 9 by 12 so it's, uh, inches. So it's a large uh, palette. And then, you know, there's lots of paint brushes and colored pencils and paint tubes as well.
0: And what are your favourite paints to use as far as brands and things like that?
1: It's, it's hard. I definitely am not loyal to one brand. I love Windsor & Newton. I will say that. I love their quality of paints. I love they've um, recently worked with me and with Blick Artist Materials. There's a paint. There was a paint in particular named Flesh Tint that I thought was horrifically named. It was always gross to talk about. <laughs> um it's pinky blush and so it's it's a really beautiful color and it's so perfect for flowers that I used it so much but I started just feeling so bad writing flush because I don't know anyone whose flesh is that color right I worked with uh Blick and they actually just changed it so they have changed it officially to pale rose
0: blush oh well that is better
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. It's so much more appropriate. And I think it was it was like named in like Queen Victoria's era when she recognized Windsor Newton kind of as her go to paints or whatever. And so it was named probably after her flesh color. She was probably a lovely little pink, but um, most people are not that color. And the name is kind of gross. So I was really excited that it was pale rose blush. So I have to say Windsor Newton is one of my favorites just because they have been such a joy to work with and they do produce such quality paints and they're responsive to the artist community and they're engaged. The other one that I absolutely love is uh, Daniel Smith watercolors.
0: They're my favorite. So that's what I tend to use. (laughs) You know that they're made right here in Seattle. You're going to have to come and visit. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. I would love to visit Daniel Smith and get to like learn about how they make the paints and all the different colors and the ways that they do it. That would be cool. I know it would be really cool. They have such an interesting
1: process how they only use natural materials. And it's really interesting because all of their paints granulate so beautifully. And a lot of people when they're first starting to watercolor are concerned about the granulation. They feel like it's something they've done wrong. Um, And I always love pointing them to articles and then I wrote about it in Modern Watercolor Botanicals my book too about granulation and how it's actually something that watercolorists seek out especially when painting inspiration from nature and just the idea that these these granules are actually coming from the earth and you're painting a log or a flower and you're putting them right back onto a petal it's just a really a really cool concept which makes me love their paint even more so
0: do you have a favorite color or a tube that you always run out of? Payne's grey. (laughs) Payne's grey. That's a very popular one amongst artists.
1: Yeah, it's just, I mean, if I could dress in Payne's grey, if I could roll around in it, (laughs) I'd be happy.
0: (laughs) So while I have you here, I wanted to ask you a question. And this is for our listeners, particularly those that maybe haven't painted with watercolour before, or they just want to get started, don't necessarily have a big budget. Do you have some suggestions of, you know, what they could do to begin with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, watercolour is one of those really great arts. Um, I
1: see it's a very approachable medium for someone that wants to kind of pursue an artistic creative endeavor, but doesn't want to invest a ton of money. So really you can invest in watercolor materials without spending a lot of money. You can, you know, a few dollars for a paintbrush is really all you need. None of the materials you need for watercolor have to be super expensive. Um, Student grade paper, student grade paints, student grade watercolor uh, paintbrushes. I have lists of them on themintgardener.com on my website. And I have links to all of like the kind of beginner stuff that you would want. The, the one material in watercolor that say you'd want to up your game, like if you really want to invest in this and you find you do like it, paper is where you're going to make your biggest impact. But if you're just beginning starting with paper that is, you know, 140 pound weight. So 300 GSM is going to be just fine and really nice to work with. My advice is always to buy materials that invite you to play. Um, Don't buy things where you feel like I have to put that tube on the shelf until I can play with it, and not feel guilty. So buy materials that encourage you to play because if you're constantly putting things away and saving them for when you're better, you'll never play with them. Getting just, a you know, a basic paintbrush. I, I always suggest a round paintbrush because they are so versatile. You know, they've got a great point when you touch very, very lightly on the paper. But then when you increase your pressure, you can get a really nice full stroke. So a round four paintbrush, you know, student grade paper, which is Strathmore Canson paper. And then, you know, an inexpensive set of uh, cake Canned watercolors is great Um, or even just a set of tubes. And then, you you know, you put all those out on a dinner plate. You don't need a fancy palette and you're set. That's
0: all you need. Do you have a favorite uh, student grade watercolor that you would suggest or something that you have used and have been happy with the results?
1: Yeah, so Canson, um, the Canson XL pads Mm -hmm. are great. There, I get the nine by 12 pads of 30 sheets, and I still will use that often. I like playing with those. Um, I use those when I teach my classes. I spend the first half of the class on student grade paper, and then I print all of their projects with my lines um, on professional grade paper so that the only material that changes throughout their class is the paper quality. Um, So then they get a chance to sample both kinds of paper. Canson's a great student grade to start with. And you can really do some really beautiful work on it. You can really scrub it pretty good, and you won't you won't mess it up.
0: And I've heard that the Windsor Newton Cotman range is quite good too for paint. Yeah. See, yeah. I haven't tried that. Yeah. I should. Probably. <laughs> That's what I've heard. I haven't. Um, I haven't used. I don't think I've used them, um, but um, I've certainly had my students say that they've been quite happy using those. So, um, what about um, student grade paints that you've used? I in my
1: book, and I'm so bummed, they actually discontinued the line of student grade paints that I love. It was Reeves. It was, I think they discontinued it because it just wasn't affordable or it wasn't profitable for oh. them to continue. You could get like a whole set of 12 to 18 for, I think, you know, under $15 US dollars. So it was a steal. So I would say, um, any student grade. Uh, I like the Van Gogh line. They even there's a Windsor and Newton student grade line. That's really great. Another thing I suggest is go to an art store, or you know, if you can't physically go to an art store these days, uh, you can you could find all the primary colors. So if you find uh, you know an alizarin crimson, so a red, and a yellow ochre, so you've got yellow. And a blue, so maybe an ultramarine. Those three colors, right? Those are your primary colors. You can really play and mix. So if you buy just three tubes of paint, you're able to create so many different colors from those. And you can really play with the student grade version of those to see if you like it and then see where your palette takes you.
0: They're good tips. Thanks for that. And one more thing I thought I'd ask is, When you were first learning watercolor, is there something that you discovered, like a lesson that you learned that really changed everything for you, like a top tip in a way when it comes to watercolor or gouache, could be gouache, something that you figured out and it was kind of a bit of an aha moment?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I I talk about this in my book and I also talk about this in my lesson. So I think that people often struggle when they're starting knowing how much water you're supposed to use with watercolor. So, you know, with any other of the mediums, you don't combine water usually, right? You don't need water and oil. So, when you're starting watercolor, knowing how much water is on your brush, how much water is on your paper, how much water is on your palette can be confusing. And you can, it can lead to streaking. And it, the amount of water you use really affects how well your painting turns out in the end. Um, so something I learned very early on is to create a magic sauce on your palette first. And I love food. I love eating. So all of my analogies are usually food related. So I figured out that if I mix up about 80% water and 20% paint, that combination, that magic sauce that mixes on my palette, if I transfer that with my brush to my paper, it moves so beautifully, it often dances and swirls on its own without me, effect, without me having to overwork it. Watercolor can easily be overworked if you're trying to balance out your water and paint while you're already on your paper. But if you make your mixture on your palette first, so that analogy, that 80% water, 20% paint, I call my soy sauce with a touch of wasabi. All right, so <laughs> soy sauce the body. What a brilliant <laughs> <Like that>. description! <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so I'm like, how can I make this relatable, right? So Thanks. I, food is often how I make things relatable. So it's you think about your paint; it's very potent. So it's very much like wasabi, in that heavily saturated. So if you water it down with your soy sauce or your water, you then have this workable palette that can be transferred and really um, paint beautifully on your paper.
0: Well, that's brilliant. I'm so glad that you've shared so many tips with us. I appreciate that. And I wanted to um, just finish off. I wanted to move a little bit away from painting and all that you do in your work. And ask you what you do when you're not being the mint gardener. So when you're just doing you, how do you recharge, unwind? Mm, I love that. Yeah, you know it's
1: funny you become the mint gardener. Your your work. It's it's interesting different identities that you can slip into. Um, but I to recharge, um, I love to read. Um, So I love any type of book. I like to escape into books Um, and I like the actual physical. I'm sure you're not surprised. Like I like, you know, the texture of paper and the weight of a paintbrush in my hand. I love the feel of, Books and the, you know, how books smell and the texture of the page, and so I usually read. That is how I recharge. Um, I also I love being in our garden. Right now, I'm looking out. It is rather bleak in Seattle right now. It's it's not raining, but it's a good solid gray. But my view is our greenhouse you know, I can see our sage is blooming. It's growing still. It'll stay green all winter. And I can see the leftovers of my irises that'll be back in May. And so anytime I need to kind of clear my head or if I'm in a creative lull, you know, the low points of the creative cycle that are very normal and happen to everyone, everyone has highs and lows in every cycle in their life. But I go to the garden and I dig in the dirt and there's something about feeling the dirt, and I feel like I recharge there. I find inspiration there, and I, I feel like time is spent well when I'm when I'm digging. So
0: that oh, feels good. I relate to that. I love the feeling of dirt in my hands. Yeah, there's something very restorative about you know feeling the soil and putting something into the ground. Mm-hmm. Do you find when you're gardening, you're just not really thinking about anything else?
1: Yes hundred percent. Yes. It's, um, you go to a different place. Like it's a completely, it's a slower pace. Um, I can find that sometimes when I'm painting, um, that kind of feels like a mystical unicorn you can just kind of grab onto sometimes. Um, but yes, absolutely. I find that in the garden when I'm, when I'm weeding or cutting away the dead, you know, the dead greens that then, you know, just cleaning everything up. There's something very, just mindful about the fact that you're just, your hands are busy, but your mind is calm.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've enjoyed getting to know you and you've shared so much excellent information as well, like tips and ideas that we can all grab onto and put into place. Thank you so
1: much. It was such an honor to get to chat with you too. I know I I think maybe you messaged or you commented on one of my pictures because of your podcaster. So thank you for that. And I went to your page and I was like, How have I never seen Laura Horn? This is amazing. So when you asked me to be in your podcast, I was secretly like, Yes, I'm so excited. So oh, I'm thrilled. I'm so thrilled. Fun.
0: I can't believe that we didn't actually know about each other until quite recently. It's funny that because as I'm listening to your story, I'm, you know, I feel so connected to everything that you've said. It just seems strange that we've only just met, but that's, you know, it's beautiful, this online world that we have now because we get to cross paths in this way.
1: Yeah, it really, it's one of the biggest blessings of social media is making this community of artists. We can be we can know of one another and be friends and celebrate one another. And it's just, and connect like there's no other way we would have ever run across one another. So it's pretty cool.
0: Well, you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll figure out a way to stay connected.
1: Yes. That sounds so
0: lovely. Thanks so much, Laura. Thank you. Bye, Sarah. Bye. Well, that's it for this week and for this year. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation with Sarah and make sure that you check out the show notes. You can find them over at laurahornart.com forward slash the podcast forward slash 116. You can also find out more about Sarah if you head on over to her Instagram page and you can find her at The Mint Gardener. And if you enjoyed the conversation, A lovely way to say thank you and to let Sarah know is to share a story over on Instagram. So you can take a screenshot of the podcast, share it in the story and make sure that you tag Sarah in it um, using her Instagram handle, The Mint Gardener. And if you want to tag me in there too, my Instagram handle is at Laura Horn Art. So before we go, I just want to say again, a huge, big, warm thank you for all of your kind comments and encouragement during the year we've had so many emails and messages it's really spurred us on and made us excited about keeping on going with this podcast we'll be back on the 20th of january with new interviews and topics and we're taking into account all of the suggestions and ideas that you've been sending through Richie and I both want to wish you a very safe, healthy and happy holiday season and a wonderful year ahead in 2021.